Chapter sixty one of Souls for Sale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Souls for Sale by Rupert Hughes. Chapter sixty one. When she reached home, Mem was so beaten down and frustrated that she begged permission to rest a while in bed for the night's ordeal. At the supper table, the younger children beset her with questions. Gladys was particularly curious and searching in her inquiries. Then came the hour of the theatre going. Nobody had dared to ask Dr. Steddon if he would accompany his family. He had not made up his own mind. He dared not. The family tacitly assumed that his conscience or his pride forbade him to appear in the sink of iniquity he had so often denounced. The family bade him good-bye and left him, but had hardly reached the gate when he came pounding after. He flung his arms about Mem's shoulders and cast off all his offices except that of a father, chuckling. Where my daughter goes is good enough for me. He made almost more of a sensation in the theater than Mem. There was applause and cheering and even a slow and awkward rising to the feet until the whole packed auditorium was erect and clamorous. Seats of honor were reserved for the great star and the family that reflected her effulgence. As soon as they were seated, the young woman who flailed the piano began to batter the keys, and Mem's latest picture began to flow down the screen. She could feel at her elbow the rigid arm of her father undergoing martyrdom. She felt it wince as her first close-up began to glow, her huge eyes pleading to him in a glisten of superhuman tears. The arm relaxed as he surrendered to the wonder of her beauty. It tightened again when danger threatened her, and she could hear his sigh of relief when she escaped one peril, his gasp as she encountered another. He was like a child playing with his first toy, hearing his first fairy story. He was entranced. She heard him laugh with a boyishness. She had never associated with him. She heard him blow his nose with a blast that might have shaken a wall in Jericho. A sneaking side glance showed her that his eyes were dripping, and when the applause broke out at the finish of the picture, she heard his great hands making the loudest thwacks of all. This was heartbreaking bliss for her. Then the manager appeared on the narrow stage and spoke of the honor of having with them the great star of whom Calverly was so proud, and he took great pleasure in introducing Miss Remember Steddon, America's sweetheart. This stolen attribute embarrassed Mem only a moment in the sea of embarrassments that swallowed her. She hardly knew how she reached the stage or what happened there. Whatever she said, she said to her father, staring down at him, as so often from the choir gallery. His eyes were bright with a layman's ecstasy in a child's glory. She came down and made her way slowly through a phalanx of friends with outthrust fingers, snatching at the hem of her fame eager to be able to say, I shook hands with Remember Steddon once. The family rode home in state, the children and the mother loud in comment, the father silent. The old parson had to think it all out. Once at home, he sent the children up to bed and held Mem and her mother with his glittering eye for a long while before he delivered his sermon. It was his nature to be forever praying for forgiveness for something, and now his very pride took the form of contrition. My beloved wife and daughter, I... <clears throat> I want to plead for the forgiveness of you both. I have been wrong-headed and stiff-necked, as so often. 
but now i am humbled before you in spite of all my pride it has just come over me that when god said let there be light and there was light he must have had in mind this glorious instrument for portraying the wonders of his handiwork our dear redeemer used the parable for his divine lessons and it has come to me that if he should walk the earth again today he would use the motion pictures you have builded better than you knew perhaps my child and now i ask you to pardon me for being ashamed of you when i should have been proud you were using the gifts that heaven sent you as heaven meant you to use them your eloquence is far greater than mine has ever been never have i seen the beauty of purity amid temptation so vividly brought home i would not presume to seem to criticize you my darling but i implore you to keep your heart and your art clean not only for your own precious sake but for the sake of the people whom you are helping in their own struggles with temptation your art is sacred and you can't you won't sully it in your life god forgive me for my unbelief and send you happiness and goodness and a long long usefulness in the path you have elected he rose and bent down to kiss mem on the brow then he escaped into his study leaving the two women to weep in each other's arms with a joyous abandonment none of her father's thunderings against wantonness none of his chantings about the divine delights of self-denial ever had such influence upon mem's soul as his meek surrender before her power as an artist nothing has ever made anybody want to be good so much as the rewards the praise for having been good that night mem knelt again by her old bed and on knees accustomed to prayer implored strength to keep her gift like a chalice a grail of holiness she woke with an early morning resolve to be the purest woman and the devoutest artist that ever lived other hours and other influences brought other moods but consecration was her spirit now the next day she left the town with all its blessings no longer a scapegoat sin-laden lipping into the wilderness but a missionary god sped into the farthest lands of the earth it seemed that all calverly was there to wring her hand and waft her salutations the family was woebegone at losing her all but gladys who wore a mysterious smile that puzzled them the conductor called all aboard and hasty farewells were taken in clench of hand and awkward kiss mem ran to the rear platform and waved and waved lengthening signals of love to her dwindling family she noted the absence of gladys and wondered at it as she went to her drawing-room there she found the girl ensconced in fairy triumph smiling like a pretty witch what on earth are you doing here mem cried going to los angeles with you i may never be great like you but i'm going to have a mighty good time trying can you blame me for running away from that graveyard when i see what came to you how could men blame her how could she fail to understand her and to promise her help all the world was filled with runaway girls striking out for freedom and for wealth and renown mem's little sister was only another in the multitude and she was so pretty so desirable delectable magnetic that her future looked all roses i'm jealous of you mem said you'll ruin my chances you're so much better looking and and oh you gladys laughed in disclaimer 
there were many questions to exchange and mem soon learned that her sister had flung off the chains that one or two ardent lovers had tried to fasten about her she had substituted for the old saws the modern instances she had changed the old ditty to run the boy i left behind me gladys was not beginning her future with the dark groping fearsomeness of mem's mem had been like a pioneer who fights old wilderness and makes the path easy for the followers when mem with a last faltering reproach asked her sister if she were wise to toss aside the devotion of a good man gladys laughed let love wait the men have kept us waiting for thousands of years till they were ready now let them wait for us there was no gainsaying this it had been mem's own feeling when she left los angeles and her lovers there consternation must be rife at home in calverly where gladys elopement was doubtless realized by now but there would be more consternation in the hearts of countless men when the fascinations of the steddon sisters should shine upon them from the silver sheet mem resolved to save her sister from the anguishes she had known in her own pilgrimage she felt already a veteran and a guide with a diploma from the college of life her first thought had been a remorseful feeling that she had not only gone wrong but had led her own sister astray as well now she felt that she had led her sister out of the dark into the light she had been somehow rescued from oblivion into the higher opportunities she would make her name famous and keep it if she ever got a husband she would still keep her name and not use his except for the sweet purposes of domesticity life had not plucked her to fling away or merely to adorn the buttonhole of some lover life had transplanted her into a garden where the choicest flowers bloomed she would make herself the rosiest rose that she could she would yearn upward toward the sun and spread the incense of her soul as far as the winds of the world would carry it and when she died she would leave her name and her face in immortal pictures of deathless motion she had sinned indeed her life had been redeemed from nullity through her sin at home she would sin again but then everybody sinned again and again but she would make atonement by entertainment purging her soul not by hiding in the wilderness but by shining like a little sun around the world blessing the world with sympathy and the nobility of tears shed for another's sorrows let love wait then till she had made the best of herself and then let love not demand that she bow her head and shrivel in his shadow but let him bloom his best alongside she wondered who that fellow of her destiny would be tom holby maybe austin boas or still another perhaps or others perhaps including him or them in any case he or they had better behave and play fair as for being a mother let that wait too she was going to mother the multitudes and tell them stories to soothe them there was far more in this dream than vanity far more than selfishness the hope of the world lay therein for the world can never advance farther than its women she had a soul to sell and it was all her own and she was going to market the dawn was hers for conquest mankind was her lover and her beloved that one man passion called love could tarry until at least the late forenoon end of chapter sixty one end of souls for sale by rupert hughes recording by deanna beauvais